Hi everyone and welcome to another episode of A Light Unto My Path podcast. I'm your host Howard Sides. Uh, once again we're continuing our study in the book of Revelation, specifically in chapter 6 where uh, we're introduced uh, to the breaking of these seals. The seven seals, chapter 6, talks about the first six. Uh, and we're in sort of the middle of them, so we'll kind of pick our study up there. Uh, Revelation chapter 6 and verse 9 uh, describes the breaking of the fifth seal. So we'll just kind of pick it up. But before I do that, I kind of wanted to um, rewind a little bit uh, where uh, we were discussing in the fourth seal where uh, the power was given to the rider of the pale horse uh, to kill uh, a fourth part of the earth and like normal my math got all jumbled up but uh, to, to clarify the statement um, the current world population at that time was 7.5 billion and one quarter of that is 1.875 billion so uh, to kill a quarter of the world population is going to equal one point or, or nearly two billion people are going to be killed. I guess you could look at it that way, kind of round it off. Two point, uh, two billion people. That, that's, that's, man, I can't, <laughs> how do you put a number to that? I, I, I mean, it is just a number, but when you think about hundreds and you think about thousands, you think about tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions, hundreds, we're talking about two billion billion people that that's almost so uh, we'll just leave it at that at close to 2 billion 1.875 billion people that'd be a quarter of the world's population which is several countries over and over all right but uh um let's let's continue uh with our study today and uh pick up in verse nine with this fifth seal um we read through the chapter at the beginning of uh, the podcast yesterday, so we'll just pick up with the study today, okay? All right, verse 9 and 10 and 11 talks about the fifth seal, <coughs> excuse me, uh, which describes for us uh, brutal persecutions, brutal persecutions. And the phrase here, uh, when I'd opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar. Under the altar. Uh, now, this could be the altar of sacrifice. It doesn't specifically say, but it kind of lends to it. Uh, and, and the altar of sacrifice would be uh, the brazen altar in the tabernacle courtyard. If you remember the layout of the tabernacle in the book of Exodus, if, you, if you're familiar with that, uh, it would have been the first altar you come to. Uh, and this altar was the appointed place of sacrifice. And uh, the key here is the word under and not on the altar. It says under the altar. So sacrifices were burnt on the altar and consumed. These are under the altar as the supreme sacrifice has already been sacrificed. Of course, that's Jesus Christ. And these mentioned are under his blood and thereby... They are saints. They're saved souls. So they're under the blood. That's why it mentions them under the altar there. <clears throat> uh, the next phrase, it says, them that are slain. Them that are slain. 
This is not just referring to martyrs in general, but specifically those killed during the tribulation period. Now, sometimes referred to as tribulation martyrs. Uh, it is suggested, and I kind of tend to agree, that so early in the tabernacle period, uh, tabernacle, the tribulation period, that these are most likely uh, Jewish martyrs. But we are told that there is a, um, let's see, I think it's in chapter 7. Um, yeah, yeah, chapter 7 and verse 9 tells us that there are going to be Gentiles saved during the tribulation period. Chapter 7, verse 9 says, After this I beheld, and lo, a great multitude, which no man could number, of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues, stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes and palms in their hands. Those are saved people. <laughs> they're not going to be in white robes in front of the Lord if they're not his children. So, of all nations, I mean, okay. I, so, there are going to be, and we'll cover that more, but anyway, we're just getting through this. All right, now the use of the word slain. The word slain is the Greek word uh, svazo. svazo. Uh, that's S-P-H-A-Z-O. S-P-H-A-Z-O. And it means to butcher, especially an animal for food or in sacrifice, uh, to slaughter, uh, to maim. Okay. I've got people running in left and right on me, so I'm having to stop and pick my point back up. So let's let's go back and hit this again. All right, the definition of the word slain in the Greek is the word uh, spazo, S-P-H-A-Z-O. It means to butcher, especially an animal for food or in sacrifice, uh, to slaughter, to maim violently, to kill, to slay, or to wound. So these people were not just killed, but were sacrificially Slaughtered. Now that gives a whole definition to a whole new idea behind why these people died. Now they didn't just die natural causes. Uh, they didn't die because they were shot or just whatever reason they died. They were sacrificially slaughtered. Get that point in your head. Sacrificially slaughtered. And uh, I made a point there uh in my notes when we first went through that, I mentioned Fox's book of martyrs. And that's Fox with F-O-X-E. Uh, if you like horror stories, uh, if you really like a, an in-depth picture of what history really was like, um, there's abridged versions of that book, but I think it's a really thick book. Um, this guy, Fox, goes and records stories of some of the martyrdoms of Christians and people who stood up for what was right. If you want to really know what it cost to put that Bible in your hand, no matter whether it's the German language, the Russian language, the Spanish language, the English language, whatever language your Bible is in in your hand, pick up a copy of that book Fox's Book of Martyrs and read what happened to some of them people for taking the stand. I'm telling you, it will... It's, it's just amazing what 
forms of evil man can comprehend in his mind. It, it's just unbelievable. So <clears throat> another question that comes up um, about them when they say that they are sacrificially slaughtered, uh, are we told how these people were slaughtered? How are these people killed? We're not told outright, but there is a possibly a hint in Revelation chapter 20 and verse 4. <clears throat> um, it says there, And I saw thrones, and they sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God, <clears throat> and which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. So against their several, there are several uh, items of interest in this. Well, right there at the end it says they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. So whatever point they're at here happens before the millennial reign. Uh, it, it could be the end of the tribulation period, right near the end of the tribulation period, at the very end of the tribulation period, somewhere in there. But it also says these that uh, they were beheaded. And it says for the witness of Jesus, for the word of God. And it says which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither received his mark. Uh, so that's all events taking place in the tribulation period in the second half. Second half, when they received the mark and all of that sort of thing. So of these people, it kind of gives a hint of when all of this martyrdom took place from that. Okay? Now, verse 10, uh, we hear them saying something here. And they cried with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord? How long, O Lord? Uh, this cry is akin to a shriek or a scream. Uh, and you think about it. Look, look at what these people went through. And yes, it's worth it when they get to heaven. But, but there's still the judgment factor that needs to be addressed. This cry is not a cry for vengeance as much as seeking God's justice and righteousness against sin and the persecutors on earth. I, there's got to be an end to it. That, that, and that's what the, the point is here. God's justice needs to prevail. The righteousness needs to prevail. Um, there's a very clear reference here that those who have died from wrongdoing or as martyrs, not only remember what happened to them, but also constantly pray for God's justice to be served. So think about that. Um, they remember what happened to them. Hmm. Um, it says that they're clothed in white robes. Now, again, <clears throat> excuse me, being clothed in white robes is symbolic of Christ's Righteousness, Christ's righteousness. These are emblems of purity and or innocence. Uh, here the robes are symbolics, symbolic of their innocence as martyrs and of the divine approval of their testimony and lives. All right, uh, it says uh, in verse 10, uh, and it was said unto them. It was said unto them. Now, 
<clears throat> that brings up two points, their, their request and then his response. Of course, their request was, oh, Lord, oh, Lord, <laughs> oh Lord how long? Uh, so here his response comes in three parts. First, the comforting. Second, the counted. Third, the conclusion. So first of all, the comforting. The comforting. Uh, in the phrase, rest yet for a little season. And it's interesting to note that word season there. Uh, the Bible tells us sin only lasts for a season. And so their rest is only going to need to last for a little season before God's judgment is passed. Now the word uh, rest here indicates a little more than just relaxing uh, as indicated. The word rest is the Greek word, um, uh, here we go, anapao, anapao. It's A-N-A-P-A-U-O. Anapa... Anapa uo, maybe. <laughs> I'm not sure how to pronounce that. Anapa uo. Uh, it means to repose or reflect and or be exempt, to refresh. So basically they are being told to leave it in the Lord's hands for justice is coming soon. Uh, Romans chapter 12 verses 19 through 21 tells us, Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. So there's the comforting. Uh, the next part is uh, the counted. There are two classes of people mentioned here, first being the fellow servants, the second one being the brethren. Now, the fellow, ser fellow servants uh, refers to all remaining Christians who not necessarily will be killed as martyrs, but at least they are remaining. And then the brethren, that specifically refers to those who will be martyred, uh, indicated by the next phrase in the verse that should be killed as they were. Uh, and then there is the conclusion uh, in that verse. It says that should be killed as they were, should be fulfilled. Should be fulfilled. Now, as God knows every grain of sand on every beach, every sparrow that flies and every hair on your head, he knows the final number of those to be saved before uh, the end. Before he sends... Uh, Uh, his son back to end this thing. I guess is the best way to put it. Uh, okay. All right. So uh, that's the fifth seal. Now we move to the sixth seal. And uh, let me see. I want to make a point of checking to make sure this goes all the way to the end of the chapter. Yes, it does. Okay, the sixth seal uh, is verses 12 through 17. Verses 12 through 17. And this seal talks about blind panic. Blind panic. 
Now, <clears throat> this shield, seal, this seal, shows the direct intervention of the Creator upsetting the normal balance and order of His own creation. And what I mean by that is uh, He's in charge of nature. Uh, things just happen like in sequential order. The sun comes up when it does. Uh, the moon comes out at night. Uh, but things are going to happen here that don't happen within that order. Uh, and, and so we'll talk about that a little bit. Now this seal is so powerful that it causes every man from king to slave to recognize that God himself is acting in divine wrath against the world. They will have no doubt who is causing this. Alright. So the first thing we see is that there is this great earthquake. Great earthquake. Now, John and the area of the seven churches were well acquainted with major earthquakes. We talked about when we went through the letters to the seven churches well, in the history of some of them uh, that, that it was so devastating that some of them were completely wiped out. Uh, <clears throat> what John witnesses is an earthquake of even greater intensity. Now, this use of the word great uh, could suggest every single fault line erupting. Thus, massive earthquakes happen all across the globe. Massive earthquakes can then cause volcanic eruptions. Fault lines run through volcanic areas, so it kind of, you know, makes sense. Uh, one famous fault line we know of is the San Andreas fault line. But there's another one, or well, actually that one. Uh, there, there's another one uh, you may not be uh, familiar with that's on the East Coast. And, and I've seen a documentary on it. It's not far off the East Coast. And there's actually a volcanic line that runs under it. But in talking about the San Andreas Fault Line, it runs near enough to Mount St. Helens and Yosemite National Park uh, that it can affect those two volcanoes. Now, we've already seen Mount St. Helens erupt back in the 1980s, 1982, I think it was, or 84, 85, somewhere in there. Uh, but I remember that. I'm old enough to remember that. <laughs> uh but Yosemite National Park uh, is unique in that um, we say that it's dormant as a volcano. It's not really quite what I would call dormant in the fact that it is releasing steam. You know, when they have those geysers that go off and stuff, it, it, it's venting. Uh, so it's not erupting. So in that way, I guess you could say it is uh, dormant. Uh, but the unique thing about the Yosemite National Park is that it is sitting on top of what is called a super volcano. Not just a normal volcano, which is bad enough, but this, is, this one's called a super volcano. Now, if Yosemite erupted uh, based on the size of the volcano, it would unleash what is called a hyper eruption. That means it would blow a large volume of magma all the way up into the ozone layer. Not ash. Magma. That's different. <clears throat> now, results from these eruptions would lead to the following. Uh, the sun turns black as sackcloth of hair. Where it, it's talking right there in verse 12 about it. The black refers to the deep, dark black of the sheep's hair 
that looked blue because it was so dark. Now this is the third time that the sun became dark. The first time was in Exodus chapter 10, verses 21 through 23, uh, in the plagues of Egypt. It says, And the Lord said unto Moses, Stretch out thine hand toward heaven, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, even darkness which may be felt. And Moses stretched forth his hand toward heaven, and there was a thick darkness in all the land of Egypt three days. They saw not one another, neither rose any from his place for three days, but all the children of Israel had light in their dwellings. So it only affected Egypt. Now the second time was in Luke chapter 23, verses 44 through 45. That was at the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And it says, And it was about the sixth hour, and there was a darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour. And the sun was darkened, and the veil of the temple was rent in the midst. So God created the sun for light and direction for man on earth. The sun gives us direction. Um, the navigators of the sea, the sailors, used the sun and the moon and the stars to navigate with. So as the black goat hair was worn in time of mourning and despair, so the darkening of the sun will symbolize the end of God's long-suffering and the beginning of his judgment. Uh, it also says that the moon turns dark red like blood. The moon became as blood. The sun reflecting off the ash in the air and then reflecting back to the moon could be red in color. This red color symbolizes the loss of life, which is the color of blood, and death in darkness. Uh, the next phrase says the stars uh, fell upon the earth. Many theorize this to mean asteroids or meteors or meteorites. Another theory could be chunks of the earth that were blown up into the ozone layer by the hyper eruption. One hyper eruption would launch rocks over an area about one third of the earth's surface. Uh, in his book, The Earth, the Stars, and the Bible, Paul Steedle, I think I said that right, or Paul Steedle, S-T-E-I-D-L, he says, and I quote, The famous Arizona meteorite crater is 4,200 feet across and 600 feet deep, but is estimated to have been caused by a meteorite of only 2 million tons, or about 300 feet across. The meteorite or comet which fell in Siberia in 1908 devastated over 1,000 square miles. The shock was felt as far away as Europe. While trees up to 20 miles from the site were blown over. Yet this body was estimated to be only 200 feet across. So you can see how much, unquote, so you can see how much Destruction can come out of a, a very small object. So when you talk, start talking about large objects, it, it's going to be uh, devastating. Uh, the next phrase, it says, Heaven departed as a scroll. Heaven departed as a scroll. This refers to the atmosphere around the earth being removed. Uh, multiple events could cause this. Gamma rays, uh, a solar storm, uh, a massive meteorite will cause a visual black hole in the atmosphere, 
where a human in the brightest part of the day could see into the blackness of space right in the middle of the daytime. I can't say I've ever seen that before. Never really even heard about that to this point. <clears throat> um, the next phrase, every mountain and island is moved. Uh, let's go back and talk about Mount St. Helens a minute uh, in reference to this. Uh, the, uh, the eruption was actually caused by a 5.1 level earthquake near the volcano. The eruption blew the entire north side of the volcano off, or the north face, as they say. Gravity alone forced over a half cubic mile of rock, ice, snow, and water at over 200 miles an hour, pushing it downhill of 200 miles an hour. <clears throat> Part of the avalanche of debris hit Spring Lake, causing a tsunami that left water marks 850 feet above the normal lake level. Spirit Lake's surface water level was raised 200 feet. In just 10 minutes, the debris flowed 13, 10 minutes, 13 and a half miles and covered over 240 square miles of the river valley to an average depth of 150 feet. The thickest part of the debris field uh, was measured at over 640 feet deep. In 10 minutes. <laughs> That's crazy. Uh, man, uh, go back and review these numbers. Uh, That's amazing. Ten, think about that. In 10 minutes. This debris field, it, it traveled 13 and a half miles, covered over 240 square miles, and an average depth of 150, but at the deepest part, it was over 640 feet deep. Uh, who could survive? Nothing would survive that. Nothing. Uh, the giant mushroom cloud of ash rose to 80,000 feet in less than 10 minutes. Again, less than 10 minutes. 80,000 feet up. Making notes on here again. All right, uh, the ash cloud spread across the entire U.S. in three days and circled the entire Earth in 15 days. The force of the blast caused the entire Earth to warble on its axis for several hours. Now, if you don't know what warble means, uh, where the Earth rotates around it, it was shaken back and forth, shaken back and forth for several hours. Over the next two months, more than 10,000 seismic events occurred. On May 23rd, 2016, Michael Snyder, S-N-Y-D-E-R, wrote an article titled, uh, 14 Volcanoes Are Erupting Right Now As the Crust of the Earth Becomes Increasingly Unstable, for the website Charisma News. In it, he references the website Volcano Discovery which shows 40 actively erupting volcanoes at that moment. He also writes that almost 3,000 earthquakes of magnitude 1.5 or greater had occurred in the past month alone. 3,000 earthquakes in one month. Uh, to close his article, he references the Pacific Northwest Seismic Network, which showed uh, 95 earthquakes in the past month under Mount St. Helens. 95 earthquakes under Mount St. Helens in the state of Washington, 36 earthquakes under Mount Rainier, also in Washington, 
and 126 earthquakes under Mount Hood in the state of Oregon. All three volcanoes are on what is called the Cascadia Subduction Fault Line, which runs 680 miles through the Pacific Northwest and is capable of a 9.0 or 10.0 earthquake along with the resulting tsunami. This fault line is actually deemed more dangerous than the San Andreas fault line. Uh, let's see, this area, yeah, left out a letter. Uh, this area of three volcanoes is part of what is called the Ring of Fire, a circular area of connected islands, peninsulas, and continental margins. More than half the world's active volcanoes are located on or near its borders. And you can look up the Ring of Fire on the internet and it'll show you uh, this ring that stretches all the way from the bottom uh, of South America, all the way up the West Coast, up through uh, Alaska, over down into Japan, or across Russia down into Japan, down the coast there, all the way down... I'm, Australia, I mean, it it's, it's, covers the earth. <laughs> so, with the eruption of volcanoes along with shifting tectonic plates, the mountains and islands would be shifted or moved to different places on the surf surface of the earth. <clears throat> uh, now, verses 15 through 17. Uh, we are told about three different things. First, the people. Second, the place. And third, the prayer. So let's look at the people first. Verse 15, And the kings of the earth, and the great men, and the rich men, and the chief captains, and the mighty men, and every bondman, and every free man. If you'll notice, that mentions seven groups of people, seven classes of men, from the king to the lowly poor man. Um, uh, uh, every man hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains. Uh, now, the unique thing here is that this, again, is the sixth seal. Now, the sixth seal is unique by its number. That's the number of man. And it affects uh, six objects of creation. The earthquake, the sun, the moon, stars, heaven, mountains, and islands. It affects, uh, let's see, one, two, three. Yeah, yeah, actually, yeah, the six objects of creation is not an earthquake. It's the sun, moon, stars, heaven, mountains, and islands. Earthquake is, is the event that's used to affect it. Sorry about that. Again, I'm, I'm trying to catch up with my counting here. Uh, it affects uh, six classes of man. Uh, the kings, great men, rich men, chief captains, mighty men, uh, and then bondmen and freemen uh, represent the entire low class. And let me remark that. Let's see, freemen. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that strange? The freemen is considered a low class. <laughs> uh, mm. Okay, two common themes today. The fear or fancy that communism, socialism, or fascism will take over the world. And another one is that America will one day be able to spread democracy to the four corners of the globe. Now, this passage proves these ideas will not 
happen. Every class of man, every form of government, every political system known since the time of Babel will be present here. They will all be present there. Okay, so that is the people. The next thing we look at is the place. Uh, first of all, it says they ran and hid. They ran and hid. Now, it is the basis human and animal nature that in times of fear, we tend to run and hide. That, that, that's just our nature. Uh, flee, flee or fight. Uh, you, you don't want to corner an animal where he can't flee and he becomes a fighter because nine times out of ten, you're probably going to lose that unless you're standing far enough away from him you can shoot him and he can't reach you. But if it's mano and mano, boy, you're in for a fight. <clears throat> okay. So it is the basest human and animal nature that in times of fear, we tend to run and hide. Now, this is especially when faced with the presence of God. And we see that in Genesis chapter 3, verses 8 through 10. It says, And they heard, they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? And he, Adam, said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. Now, before this passage, it makes specific reference that God walked with them in the cool of the evening talking to them. They were never afraid of him before. So what changed? It was because they realized their sin, and because they realized their sin, they could not stand in the presence of a holy God. So this is a spiritual as well as a natural reaction to run and hide. Spiritual and natural reaction. Now it says that they ran in caves and crevices in the mountains. Now throughout the Old Testament, caves and dens were used as hiding places from an attacking enemy. Isaiah warned the people in his time that the day was coming when God would turn the tables. Isaiah chapter 2, verses 19. And they shall go into the holes of the rocks and into the caves of the earth for fear of the Lord and for the glory of his majesty when he ariseth to, ch to shake terribly the earth. Now John Gill reflects that this very action was manifested in the days of the Roman emperors. Uh, and I'll quote this. It's quite a long passage, but I'll quote it. <clears throat> Excuse me. It says, They hid themselves in the dens, and in the rocks of the mountains, where through the cruel persecutions they had forced multitudes of Christians to flee, and therefore, and inside quotation marks, lex talionis, unquote, the law of retaliation was righteously inflicted on them, and not to take notice of any other, this was remarkably true of their kings or emperors, Diocletian, and Herculius Maximianus, Maximianus, who were emperors together in the height of their imperial glory and grandeur, the one being at Nicomedia and the other at Milan, did on one and the same day of their own accord abdicate the empire and divested themselves of their imperial crown and government and retired to a private life pretending in public that old age and the weight of business were the cause, 
but to their friends they owned that it was through despair because they could not extinguish the Christian religion. Some ascribed this to frenzy and madness, but the true reason was that the wrath of the Lamb was let into their consciences and where they could not bear and which obliged them to take this step to the amazement of the whole world. Maximinus, who succeeded them, being overcome by Licinius, laid aside his imperial habit and hid himself among the common people and skulked about in fields and villages. Maxentius, another emperor, fled from Constantine, the instrument of the wrath of the Lamb, and the pouring it out upon his enemies, and fell into the river Tiber from the Milvian bridge where he perished, and which was the very place in which he had laid snares for Constantine. Unquote. So uh, we see that even these emperors, after they had attacked the Christians to the point that the Lord just affected their mind to where they just gave up their throne, gave up their power, gave up everything, uh, they just couldn't handle it. So, that's the place. Uh, the final thought there is the prayer. <clears throat> and that's in verses 16 and 17. And said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath is come, and who shall be able to stand? What a way to end a chapter with a question. Who shall be able to stand. So these people pray not to God, but to the mountains and the rocks. Now why is that? Even they realize the time of salvation is over and only judgment is now present. There is no mercy present anymore. It's only judgment. So they do not ask for rescue or deliverance, but rather for death. Uh, Charles Lee Feinberg, in his commentary, he makes this quote, uh, I quote, They cry out not for salvation or the intervention of God on their behalf, but for an end to their miseries, unquote. Notice in the phrase it says, From the face of him that sitteth on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of his wrath is come, and who shall be able to stand? Now the face sitting on the throne, of course, is God the Father. There is no possible way this is a literal reference to seeing God's actual face. Even Moses himself could not be allowed to do this. And that's covered in Exodus chapter 33, verses 18 through 20. And Moses said, I beseech thee, show me thy glory. <clears throat> and he said, God, I will make all my goodness pass before thee, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before thee, and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and will show mercy on whom I show mercy. And he said, Thou canst not see my face, for there shall no man see me and live. And of course the story goes on, it says he showed him these hind parts, but not his self. He could not look on uh, God the Father. So, alright, that covered chapter 6. Uh, and that's the first six seals that we see there. Uh, quite a lot of information, quite a lot of uh, uh, devastation, especially when you talk about what some of these earthquakes are capable of doing uh, when one of them erupts. Uh, we've seen the example of Mount St. Helens. That wasn't even a super, 
volcano or a hyper eruption that they call it, like what uh, 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 the one in Yosemite National Park would be. So um, it's kind of a sobering thought when you sit and think about just some of the things that are coming. And again, remember, this is the first half of the tribulation. We have not even got into the great tribulation. Not even in the great tribulation. And all this chaos is going on. So, Lord help us. Lord be merciful upon us. And thank you, Lord, that um, if you are saved today, you don't have to go through that. We're going to be raptured out here before all this takes place. So, that's good to know. But we still need to pray for those uh, who are not saved yet. Who are not going to be rescued if they don't be get saved. So, we need to continue to pray for them. Uh, so uh, thank you once again for listening, and hopefully we'll see you on the uh, next podcast. All right, God bless you.